Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we get the inside take from actors, artists, and creators on their work, their career, and the things they obsess about. I'm your host, Connie Grielmo. When he was a boy growing up in England, Anthony Horowitz was sent away to boarding school, a place he remembers as extremely brutal, dangerous, and very scary. His unhappiness led him to the library where he discovered books, or what he calls the greatest escape. That led to the creation of one of his most popular characters, a teenage boy named Alex Ryder. I spoke with Horowitz about creating Alex Ryder, about how he plots out the twists and turns in the many mysteries he's written, and about his obsession with reading and writing, especially young adult fiction. Thank you, Anthony Horowitz, for taking the time to talk to me for our series, I'm So Obsessed. And I'm talking to you today in part because uh, one of your books, uh, you have written many, many things, many books, TV shows. Uh, There's so many books that we can talk about, but one of them, a very popular series called Alex Ryder about a young young man who has an unusual set of skills and becomes sort of a modern-day James Bond, has been turned into a TV series that is about to go live. I just watched the entire series, and I was really fascinated by two things. You picked a young boy as the protagonist for your novel, and if what I read on the internet is to be believed, that stems from sort of your own childhood and not having the most adventurous childhood and maybe putting yourself in the place of this character. So can you tell us a little bit about how you connected with Alex Ryder and how your real life connects with this character you created? I was a, a rich kid. I had wealthy parents. I was uh, very privileged. And I was sent when I was eight years old to a boarding school uh, because that's what you did in Britain if you were wealthy. You sent your kids away from your home uh, and into an environment that was extremely brutal and unpleasant and dangerous and very scary and where I was extremely unhappy. And it was while I was there at this school that I realized that my future was in writing. And I realized that partly because of finding books in the library and realizing that books were the greatest escape from the situation I was in. And I still believe that to this day, that no matter how bad the world is, and right now the world is pretty bad, um, books open up like doors. They're shaped like doors. You can go through them into better places. Uh, so that was the beginning of my journey. It was that. It was also a realization that when I told stories to the other kids at this school in the dormitory at night, you know, eight boys to a room, that they liked me and that I was suddenly popular and they liked what I was offering them, which told me that this was what my skill set was. At the same time, I was watching James Bond at the cinema. I was reading the books by Ian Fleming. And that was a link into the world of spies and spycraft. I must be honest and say that Alex Ryder began his life, really, with the simple thought, wouldn't it be great if Bond was a teenager? But that said, Alex is not Bond. He's a very different sort of character, quite apart from being young. Um, He isn't a, a spy. He is a reluctant spy. He is an ordinary kid sucked into a world out of his depth. Uh, He is somebody who is manipulated and lied to. And this is very much sort of the world of my books. I I have a sort of a a view of the world, really, that we cannot take what we see at its face value and that all of us are in some ways being manipulated. And that's what I write about. And I won't give any spoilers, but uh, your comment that he's a reluctant spy is something I think people can appreciate. He is drawn into trying to solve the 
the mystery of something that happens to one of his relatives. And it's very personal for him why he gets involved. And so when you have a personal stake uh, in a situation, sometimes you're drawn into unusual circumstances. I noted you wrote the first novel in that series, Stormbreaker, back in 2000. And the bad guys, if you will, are basically Nazis. And when you wrote it in 2000, I mean, that was already unusual to have them be the bad guys. I think there were lots of other villains that people were cluing into at that time. Here we are in 2020, and people are still, and there seems to be a revival of um, the right wing, certainly here in the U.S. And it just, it wasn't a criminal element that I would have thought of in 2000. So can you tell me a little bit about why those were the bad guys and what you think about the discussion that we're having about them again today. Well, Connie, to be honest with you, in Stormbreaker, the villains are not the Nazis. Um, the, the villain of that book is a man called Herod Sale, who is a Lebanese businessman. And uh, in the book that Point Blank, it's Dr. Greif, who is uh, a South African uh, uh, scientist uh, who uh, supports apartheid. Uh, the next book, Skeleton Key, the villains are Russians. Uh, Colonel Saroff is a villain of that one. Uh, and in Eagle Strike, it's an, an English pop singer. So uh, if you're looking for the far right in my work, it does exist. I mean, the evil organization that I created in book five, Scorpia, does work occasionally for extreme right-wing views. I think if I may say so, that what your comment is, uh, what, what, where you are right in your comment is, is that I am very much in tune with modern thinking and, and where we are now. And, it, and one of the things that is perhaps more worrying than anything is the emergence or the re-emergence of extreme right-wingers in, in the world, all over the world. Um, and, and the throwback to sort of echoes of the 1930s and 40s are everywhere, um, but, but not actually in the Alex Rider books. Dr. Bright does represent right-wing thinking in the sense that he is authoritarian and believes that he knows best. And where I think he does chime in with modern politics and some leaders around the world, men and no names, is this sense that the old rules no longer apply, that the world is not working, but he, Dr. Greif, knows best and through any means necessary can take over the world and, and impose his values and his view of life uh, on, on other people. And to that extent, he is very much a modern character and in tune with many people uh, who are out there in, in, on both sides of the Atlantic. Um, and it is something that worries me. I mean, the Alex Ryder books, since they were began, since they were first conceived, have always reflected where the world is going. Every single story that I wrote, including Point Blank, Dawnbreaker, uh, Skeleton Key, etc., began with newspaper stories. That's where my inspiration is. My job, if you like, is to look at what is happening in the world and to turn it into stories that young people can handle and cope with and hopefully find a way through. I just thought it was very prescient <laughs> who your villain was in this TV series that is about to be released and, an un and, and a very uh, timely uh, topic to be uh, at the center of a discussion. If I may say so, pick up the very latest Alex Ryder book, Nightshade, uh, which is about a criminal organization that basically brainwashes children. And it's all about sort of our religious extremism and about our intolerance and about our uh, about, again, sort of fanatical doctrinarianism, um, that also is really on the pulse, I think, of what is happening in the world at the moment.
have written uh, many mysteries and some horror. And when we go back to your childhood and telling stories, were you always drawn? You mentioned Ian Fleming and James Bond. Um, you've been uh, cited as saying Conan Doyle, who wrote the Sherlock Holmes books, Agatha Christie, a mystery writer. What was the appeal of those kinds of stories to you? Well, they're different in each case. I mean, Sherlock Holmes and Conan Doyle, I have, of course, written two Sherlock Holmes books myself. Um, I think the appeal of those was the idea that mystery and intrigue can take place in the most boring of places. I lived in a very dull suburb in North London, but a lot of the Sherlock Holmes stories are themselves set in very, very ordinary, boring places. The, the Norwood Builder is, for example, a famous Sherlock Holmes story. Norwood is not somewhere you would particularly rush to to visit. And I loved the idea that evil, as in a temple in Agra in India, the tentacles of that can stretch out to somewhere like where I live. And so I loved that. I was always very interested in murder mystery because I find that murder mystery is one of the most interesting ways to tell a story. If two people come together and one person, one of them, murders the other one, you obviously are entering into an arena of very much heightened emotions. You don't murder somebody because you are mildly dissatisfied with them. You murder them for big reasons. So for a storyteller, a murder is a very interesting uh, beginning of a narrative. Um, at the same time, I've always loved Tricks, puzzles, illusions, secret, secret passages. My house in London has a secret passage to take me up to my office. Um, and this is something that has been in my work throughout and is certainly there in Whodunit, in Agatha Christie, in Sherlock Holmes. And so I, I like writing to beguile people and to trick them. How do you write a mystery? Do you start with the end, ending first, and work your way backwards? Do you know how it's going to end? Or do you go yourself on a journey? I think a mystery, the sort that I write, always begins with the killing itself and with the motive. I start with a very simple equation. A plus B equals C. A is one person, B is the other person, C is the reason why A murders B. And that's where it all begins for me. A murder mystery has to be interesting. It has to be, it has to take you into a rarefied world. The, the motive has to be something that hasn't been done before. I don't want a, a husband killing his wife because he wants to go off with another woman, for example. Um, that's too obvious, or a man killing another man because he knows a secret about him and he's afraid. Uh, there are very few reasons why people kill each other, but one of the great things about Agatha Christie, for example, was the amount of variation she found on those reasons. So if you get, for example, a book like The Mirror Cracked Side to Side, the motive for the murder is a completely new idea. When she wrote it, it was a completely new thought, and that's what I'm trying to do in my own murder mysteries. But from there, when you've got this little core, A plus B equals C, who is A? What is his or her background? What is his or her relations, job, environment, country, uh, loves, desires? And that begins to sort of burgeon out. You suddenly find yourself, if A is a chef, then you're suddenly in the world of cookery and of restaurants and of high stakes. The fastest way to lose money is with a restaurant. Critics and diners and, and problems and, and, and all sorts of things. So, so that then defines the world. B might be, I don't know, a scientist. So suddenly you're in the world of science and of, 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 uh, of computers, maybe, of technology and all that sort of stuff. So, so just by choosing the two characters, you have already chosen two worlds to describe. And it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger as you write until you have the whole book. Yes, but it, there is a certain cleverness to having a plot twist where people go, aha, I didn't know that. So I guess, does that come from the many things that you've read? Have you actually ever been involved in working with private detectives and solving real life I, mysteries? I have worked with the police in Britain on many occasions. Yes, I have. 
I used to do a, a series of um, training exercises with the police where I was the killer and they would interview me and I had to somehow give them all the clues but not get caught. This was uh, as part of a detective training program, which I took part in. They used quite a few writers for it. Uh, and that was fascinating. I have also been involved in forensic science. I have, I have been to um, body dissections and, and such, uh, you know, in the mortuary. And uh, I have got, you know, I have seen at close hand a lot of what I write about. But but what I'm really doing in my books, the twists you talking about, the plot twists, which I do love, are really out of my own head. I mean, you might say that Agatha Christie and, and, and Doyle and, and Dorothy L. Sayers and Ellery Queen were inspirations to me. But but I love to sit down and come up with a sort of a an idea, a, a, a story that nobody will be able to guess. When I when I when I publish a murder mystery, it's my first question: Oh, did you enjoy it? But did you guess it? Um, you not only write books, which, of course, I'm very grateful that you do, but you also write for the screen, TV, and movies. We are living through an unusual time in the world right now with this pandemic. Lots of people are at home uh, binge-watching uh, all sorts of things to try to escape from reality to the best that they can. And I'm curious about when you look at your writing and if you have a hierarchy of things or mediums that you prefer. Are you a book reader first? Do you binge watch uh, out of curiosity? I do. Uh, I do binge watch TV programs. Yes. I mean, you're not, not many of them, but shows like The Good Wife, I remember absolutely being absorbed with and uh, lost. JJ uh, Abraham still owes me about sort of um, 30 hours <laughs> of my life for those later uh, episodes. <laughs> uh, and um, obviously, um, Breaking Bad, you know, the great shows, um, The Sopranos and such. And, and yes, I get enormous watching these things um uh and 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 continue to do so but i also read a lot and if you're asking me you know i think the, at the beginning of a question you asked me for a preference in terms of writing my books are probably the, my most valuable writing to me because they are entirely my own work i'm very proud of what's happened with alex Ryder. uh point blank well, my great hope is that the tv series will actually lead people back to the books because that's where it all begins with me and i think there is something very very interesting about reading uh, it is not a relaxation. It is not a recreational activity. It is incredibly powerful. It is a, a remarkable way to use your brain to, first of all, turn hieroglyphics, letters into words, to turn words into paragraphs, to turn paragraphs into chapters, and to construct in your head a world where you can see and hear and smell and characters that you would know if you met. All of this is done, obviously, by a writer, but it only works in conjunction with a reader. And I find that relationship really interesting. And I find the whole act of reading one of enormous um, self-fulfillment. I started by saying that you've written many, many things, but I, I see that you have written many things for young adults. And again, not I wouldn't say that's the focus of your work because you have done so much work, but what do you like in particular about writing for young adults? First, I began writing young adult fiction because I like story and narrative and flow and pace and excitement and adventure. And that is really, if, if anything characterizes a YA book as opposed to an adult book, it is probably that. Uh, added to which, of course, the main protagonist is obviously is going to be younger. Uh, I like that too. I have great faith and optimism in young people, which tends to wane as I meet older people. 
um, a, a hero like Alex Ryder is somebody that you can put great faith by, that they will come make the right moral choices and that they will leave the world a better place. Unfortunately, there aren't many adults in the real world that one can say that about uh, with such certainty. Um, but but the other thing I liked about, which, which I find valuable about young fiction, is my sense that kids who read will grow up to be more fulfilled adults and that actually people who don't read and who have not discovered story and narrative lack a certain empathy and creativity. Uh, I often say to myself, you know the politicians in the world who have never read fiction uh, because they, they, they betray themselves with every word they speak. But people who have immersed themselves in books and you understand the pleasure of whether it's Jane Austen, Charles Dickens or Stephen King or whoever, they have a quality about them, an empathy about them that, that, that separates them. That's why book clubs and book festivals are such delightful things, because, because people come to them with, with an open mind and with a sensibility which is, which is entirely positive. I ask you about the young adults and, and the work that you've done with Alex Ryder in part, but also you wrote another series that some of the staff is fans of and they wanted me to ask you about, and that is the Diamond Brothers, which are funny and they are not the best detectives. Can you tell us a little bit about your thinking with bringing well, the Diamond well, Brothers to life? It, Connie, because that, funny enough, is my next book, the next book I'm writing. Ah. I've done um, six chapters of it. It's called The Seagull Has Landed. No, it's, not, uh, it's, it's called Where Seagull Dare. Sorry. And all the Diamond Brothers books are spoofs on film titles. So right. Where Seagulls Dare, obviously from Where Eagles Dare, uh, is the next one in the in the series. And the setup is simple. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a detective who is 25 years old called Tim Diamond, who is very, very stupid, but who is lucky enough to have a 14-year-old kid brother, Nick Diamond, who is very, very bright. And the, the kid brother solves all the crimes. And the stories are told, first of all, as film pastiches. The first book in the series was called The Multi, The Falcon's Malteser, uh, which was The Maltese Falcon. Uh, and then the next one was Public Enemy Number 2, which was the films of Jimmy Cagney. Then it was South by Southeast, which plays off Alfred Hitchcock and North by Northwest. I have one more in my head one day, which is going to be called um, uh, The Radius of the Lost Shark, which is going to do for Spielberg and all the Spielberg. <laughs> uh, Wait, um, let me just say that so our American audience can understand. The Radius of the Lost Shark, which indeed. is a brilliant... A brilliant- and um, and, uh, and these books are all told in a sort of a Chandler-esque sort of tone of voice. Uh, they're, they're narrated by Nick Diamond, who is 14, but he does have a slightly Chandler style to him. And, and they are funny. They're my opportunity to tell sort of silly jokes and have, and have chases and have a lot of fun. And since you began your question, incidentally, about Nazis, uh, when you were first asking about Alex Ryder, I should say that... Um, the, the plot of, of uh, Where Eagles Dare, the famous movie with Clint Eastwood and Richard Burton, has them parachuting into occupied uh, France or Austria or somewhere to, um, to, to, to steal into a castle and rescue somebody. And of course, they get surrounded and chased by Nazis. In my book, it's set in the south of England, and it's all neo-Nazis. So it's all people in motorbike vests with very large beards and tattoos and, and ear piercings and such who uh, take the role of the Nazis, except they're neo-Nazis. And it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I, I'm really enjoying writing it. That name of this podcast is I'm So Obsessed. And so my question to you is, what are you obsessed with? I'm obsessed with illusion, magic, secret places, 
things not being as they really seem to be. I'm obsessed with books and with young people reading books and with literature and with the power of literature to overcome many, many problems in the world. I'm obsessed with my work, actually, with, with being a writer and with trying to write books, each one of which I hope is better than the one before uh, and, then, and which, will, which will delight and please an audience. And in their, in, their, in their own way, I have a hope that my books are, if you'll forgive me sounding quite trite, are doing good. That, that people read my books and travel with my books and that my books help them in a very small, microscopic way, but help them with their lives. Well, I will say from a personal experience, I think you are successful not just because you're a good writer, but because you respect your audience, especially those young adults who love being part of a world where they can imagine that they have a place. Thanks again to Anthony Horowitz for talking with me. And thank you for listening. We hope you'll take a moment to subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, be safe. <laughs>